Hey there. Welcome to episode five of the Artist in Me is Dead podcast. I'm your host, Rhonda Willers. This episode features a conversation with Olivia House, a Black designer based in Chicago. Social change is at the core of her practice. Olivia uses design to teach, heal, and build community. You'll hear how a realization prompted a summer-long research project that became so much more. And I honestly had research envy listening to her describe her immersive research approach to this project. Olivia is inspiring and reflective. We talk about what advocacy looks like in combination with design and about how a little seed of agency grew in her and can grow in each of us to realize our own capacity to create change. Please enjoy this episode with Olivia House. Well, Olivia, it's really great to have you on the podcast today, and it's also wonderful to meet you. Thank you for joining me. Yes, thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited. So the way we start on the podcast is I'd like each guest to share how they got to the creative field that they got to or the creative practice that they got to. And some of that might be through like your formal training or like community training or just art experiences that you've had throughout your life. And if you could kind of take us through a bit of that journey that brought you to where you are today. Yes, absolutely. Uh, So I think if you ask anyone in my family, it would be no surprise that I'm in a creative industry. (laughs) When I was younger, that's all I was doing. I was just creating. I would Mm -hmm. I have lots of younger siblings, so I write plays for us Mm. to perform. I would write music, constantly be coloring and coloring books and drawing and things like that. Um, But I was also interested in so many other things. Like I was, I thought I was going to be a therapist, maybe a teacher, a doctor, (laughs) president of the United States. Um, But I mean, the constant has always been art for sure. Mm. And so when I got to high school, I was really wondering what I could do with art um, because my parents kind of make it made it known right away. Like you're not going to school for art, like mm. you're that, and which which sucked. Um, and I'm also, you know, partly grateful for that because it made me choose a choose a focus uh, mm-hmm. approach to art. And but they're also um, very like analytical people. We're opposites complete opposites I'm like over here <laughs> creating and they're like numbers black white like no gray area <laughs> so I was like the oh my gosh I'm just like the out the outcast of the family in that way <laughs> um so they really wanted me to go into like business or marketing or something like that and so um I started kind of looking into those fields um and obviously was disappointed because I was like I don't see I don't see where I fit in here (laughs) this wouldn't be fun for me (laughs) but I started looking into like marketing Mm -hmm. I was like okay um you know they have they're pretty creative they can be pretty creative in that way and so I like signed up for a marketing class at my high school. And in that class, like we were talking about, you know, like campaigns, all that stuff, but an organization called the brand lab came into our class and they're a nonprofit in Minneapolis. 
hoping to diversify the marketing and advertising industries. Mm-hmm. And so they came in and talked about like what marketing and advertising really was. And they were talking about all mm-hmm. the different roles. And then they talked about graphic design for a little bit. And so I remember going home and I was like, okay, interesting. I was like, <laughs> it up, and I was like, oh, so this is like, this is art kind of, and business kind of like mm-hmm. I felt like it was the perfect like combination of you know what I was kind of expected to go into and what I really wanted to go into yeah yeah I also thought it was perfect because while I loved art I didn't consider myself like a great fine artist like mm-hmm. I didn't consider myself to be great at drawing or painting or anything like that so I was like computer I can learn I can do that I mm-hmm. feel like I that and I love color and I'd be able to do that in design and I love like typography I'd be able to do that and so I really just dove head first I applied to an internship with the brand lab that summer and I got it and so I worked at an ad agency and talked to their graphic designers and got set up with like mini projects and I was like I I just fell in love with design I was like yeah (laughs) Wow. This is it. This is it. Yeah. Um, So that was great because that was all in high school. And so when I graduated, I was like, oh, I'm majoring in graphic design. Mm -hmm. Um, That's what I want to do. And honestly, I was expecting, I was like, wow, I've made all of my life choices now. I'm going to go. (laughs) I'm going to work in advertising. I'm going to love it. I'm going to be making logos and stuff. And that's going to be my life. Like, it's going to be great. (laughs) And then I went to Augsburg mm-hmm. and yeah, I made, I knew I was majoring in graphic design and I knew their program was like really just starting up. My first year there was the first year they offered it as a major and mm-hmm. not just a certificate. Mm-hmm. So like, we're all like growing and moving together. Mm-hmm. And in my sophomore year, um, I had a class. It wasn't even a class. It's called design and agency. And yeah, we were like, uh, like a real design agency. We worked on real work. I was like, okay, so this is interesting. It's it's different than advertising because we're working on these like community projects and people were working on like exhibits and stuff. And I was like, okay, so there's more to design than just logos. That's Mm. (laughs) more than just logos. (laughs) I was like, whoa, okay. (laughs) And then that summer I needed research hours for my program. And so I decided to do Ergo that summer, which is a summer research program. I was like, I want to combine design with this, obviously, um, to make this a really fun summer. Mm -hmm. And I was talking to my mentor. We were kind of talking about design and I started being really socially um, and politically active that year and was getting Mm -hmm. into grassroots organizations and like social justice issues. I was like, I really want to combine all these things I'm kind of interested in. Mm-hmm. So um, we were talking about like black designers and how like we don't know anything about them. So I decided to just, you know, research the history of black designers. Mm-hmm. And at the end of that summer, I ended up designing an exhibit to house all this information. And that's when my mind, like everything I thought graphic design could be just like blew up. Mm. Advertising, I don't know. I no, I'm past that. 
I guess I'm on a new path now. <laughs> I don't know what that path is or what it looks like, but mm. I know that I want it to be more than, yeah, just like logos and stuff. And so that's kind of, that was the start of where my practice is today. And I don't really know what to call it. It is a mix of like design and, you know, art and public art. And it's, I find myself really on that tightrope of like, is it design? Is it art? Am I a designer? Am I an artist? How are they connected? All of that. So that's well, kind of the journey. Yeah. And maybe what you're doing, I mean, what you are doing, not maybe you are, you're building a new definition. You're building something that is your own. And it makes me think about an interview I heard with John Batiste. Are you familiar with him as a musician? Oh my God. I could listen to him talk about creativity all the time. But he was talking just about music and his album, paraphrase it, but essentially bringing in every influence as a valid influence. And then in another interview, he was talking about, because he's classically trained as well, but unlearning what we are taught as being a harmonious connection or sound. And how do we make new sounds and teach ourselves to know that that is also a really harmonious sound? Yes. I love that. And that feels like what you're doing with your work is you're making your own new harmonious sound and (laughs) you don't have, you're not going to fit, right? You're not going to fit in these categories to compare against Mm -hmm. because each one of those categories will tell you, this is not your category. You're, you're doing something else with this. So that doesn't fit here. So you're making your own, which is exciting, but also hard, right? Because you don't have a name for it yet. And so Maybe that's something you'll do because you you have skill sets. You'll come up with a name for what this is that you do. Yeah, I hope so. I really hope so. And yeah, I think it it is cool because um, there have been other designers that are like, wow, you're right. I didn't realize there was so much more to design and I love this and this. And yeah, I can like pave a new path. So it's been Mm -hmm. really exciting to see that. Mm -hmm. Is it? Well, actually there's something how, oh, this is what I wanted to ask you about as you're going along and you're describing this path that you came upon and the different ways that you changed and saw things and then were inspired by those things and connected to those things. What is, what is your process or what do you listen to that tells you this is where you need to go? Mm. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm big on gut feelings for sure. Mm -hmm. I know, I know that feeling in my gut and I, I listen to it Mm -hmm. definitely. Um, and I think, I think listening to myself has been the greatest in that because yeah, I, I feel like there have been projects or even opportunities that would lead to like different, different paths. And Mm -hmm they just, they don't feel right. So Mm -hmm. I really know based on that, like even bodily feeling of Mm -hmm. like imagining myself going down that path. I'm like, I don't really like how that feels like Mm. that feel or sit right physically. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I, I'm really, I'm really in tune to that. I Mm. listen to myself. That doesn't mean I don't, I don't ever doubt myself because I definitely (laughs) (laughs) a lot. I question it all the time. 
but I, I definitely do. I trust my gut. I listen mm-hmm. to it. Mm-hmm. If somebody, cause I know, I don't, I shouldn't say if somebody, we know that other people struggle with trusting their gut. Is there a bit of wisdom that you would share with them about those first steps into trusting your gut and trusting what you feel in your body and your emotions and, and what you also described as like in your vision, you took time to envision what that, those next steps in that decision would look like. So you were seeing what the future might be. What wisdom could you share with somebody who's just trying to take some of those first steps? Yeah. I mean, um, I wouldn't exactly call it isolation, but there's something about, about just being with yourself. I think one of the things I used to do a lot was anything that came up, I would immediately go to someone else. Mm. And, you know, while it's helpful to like really talk through things and like hear what they think, I never took the time to like consider what I thought. (laughs) 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 Like we go to other people to, you know, like validate, to like sway us one way. Cause I mean, that is, you know, like that, that's obviously a common thing and it is helpful to, again, like talk through it, hear what someone else has to say, mm-hmm. but I like doing that after I've really sat with it. So really mm-hmm. just taking time to feel those things, because again, like we tend to not want to feel uncomfortable, especially physically like that physical feeling of fear or anxiety. Like we really don't like sit with that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, I don't know, just like taking a day to yourself, even a couple hours, an hour to like sit there and like feel what you're feeling. Mm -hmm. um, And like, think about that journaling really helped me with that. Mm -hmm. So like journaling, just all my thoughts, not even sentences, just like, Mm -hmm random words this, <laughs> this is literally what I'm feeling in my body right now mm-hmm. and then coming back to it the next day um mm. that that really really helped me in the beginning mm-hmm. and then just taking it further every time and just like sitting with it a little more mm-hmm. I love that I love that because you're right we it's a hard thing to stop and sit and just I wrote down ask yourself first yeah. like that is just, like <laughs> Go simple and so hard at this, like both things. It's all the things, but it's true. Like ask yourself first, just pause and ask yourself first. Yes, exactly. And I had a mentor. I I think he really helped me with this and starting Mm. to realize that because I started coming to him with things like, which job should I take? Should I do this? Should I decide Mm. to do this? And I swear the first thing he asked me was, well, what do you feel about it? And I remember <laughs> <being> so like, <laughs> like I came to you. What do you, what do you mean? What do I feel about it? What do you feel about it? <laughs> and that's when I realized like, yeah, I haven't even been asking myself first. I'm immediately, <laughs> I feel it. I feel a conflicting thing. And I'm like, someone else help influence this somehow. But I'm yeah. like, oh, okay. Yeah, let me. <laughs> How do I feel about it? That was good. That, I'm so glad you brought that up because I was going to follow up this conversation, this part of it with, did you have someone model that for you so that you could know like, yeah, I should check in with myself first. Or even did you have anyone model for you this practice of trusting your gut throughout your life? Or was that something you came to on your own? Yeah, I think 
I think that it's something so I'm like I said I'm the oldest sibling and so (laughs) a lot of what I've had to do is (laughs) figure things out on on my own and honestly my gut feeling is something that I've been the most consistent part of my life and like that doesn't mean I've always listened to it but really even when I, I just knew that I had that feeling but I would say, I don't know, my parents, my parents are good in that way. And my dad is too. He really just goes with, with what he feels. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, sometimes that's hard. Like we're both, we're both very stubborn people. So like to see, mm-hmm. <laughs> that, I didn't always see that as a positive. Growth. <laughs> like I'm like, okay, yeah, this is what you think. But like, what about me? But he did, he did. Mm-hmm. He's, he always went with what his gut felt with any of his, decisions that he made in business job like any of that like Mm -hmm. he went with what he felt Mm -hmm. and so yeah I mean he modeled that from day one for me Mm. so some I want to tie back to part of your introduction in the way that you were describing your experience getting into creativity too is that you know this your family wasn't create your family of origin isn't creative right that they didn't that wasn't their inclination like the way i think about it is like spreadsheet people like there's people who speak through spreadsheet yeah <laughs> like that's there's that and then if you're familiar with google jamboard i feel like then there's people who are on jamboard and <laughs> kind of how we talk to each other yeah. So when you were growing up and you had these inclinations, you talked about making plays for your siblings to be a part of. Are there other creative experiences that really stand out to you that you remember from your childhood or your early, early life that you could share and describe? You could describe the physicality of what it looked like, what it felt like. Um, any way you want to take that question. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, there's so much, so much. Hmm. I think, wow. Well, I, I guess one, one thing I think about is when I was in elementary school and we, we were having our like student council elections, like Mm -hmm. I was in like fifth or sixth grade. (laughs) <laughs> we're having elections and stuff and you you could campaign however you wanted and immediately I was like I want to make posters like I want to <laughs> make posters and I remember making them and like I'm not even thinking about like student council I'm I'm not that's not on my mind at all it's literally just about like making these posters and like writing the words out and what colors I was going to use and I remember staying up all night and all through those nights doing Mm -hmm. that and Mm -hmm. like where I would put them up in the school and things like that like I said not even thinking student not about the student that was just the vehicle to get you to the poster (laughs) (laughs) and I just loved it I loved it and like and just seeing people interact with the posters like Mm -hmm. oh I will never forget that feeling of just like behind people they're like looking at it and like laughing at the slogan or just even just like looking at it and just Mm -hmm. the feeling that that gave me of Mm -hmm. seeing people interact with what I made Mm -hmm. I I just loved that entire making experience Mm. ah yeah that feels so real I, I remember sharing with some students one time that when kind of this 
it's a twofold experience, but when you see art that you really connect with, it's sort of like you fall in love because you're like, that person also sees the world a little like how I see the world or something, or, or they challenge you to see the world differently, but there's something about that that feels really deep. And then the same, when you're the maker and somebody falls in love with your work or connects with your work, it's like, oh, we share something. And like the connectedness that comes from that moment, it helps us. And sometimes it's really surprising who connects with your work. It's not always who you think it's going to be. <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> and that's kind of a, that experience too is part of it. So I'm wondering too, I want to, there's so many things I want to talk to you about because I'm just like, oh my goodness. I want to talk a little bit about if we can, how, when you had that experience with the brand lab mm-hmm. and the awareness that they sort of opened up for you about what this, what this career could be like that graphic design was part of it, but also it sounds like activism came in from that time too. Right. Or it was, that was part of their mission. A little, no, well, or not in that one. A little bit. Yeah. A little bit. I think their mission of um, changing the marketing and advertising mm-hmm. industry that like, that was a little seed that was planted in me about like the idea of making change. Yeah. And that was kind of the first time that I was really exposed to that on a, like, yeah, on a first person, I guess, sort of level Mm -hmm. of like, wow, even me being in this program is a part of change somehow. Oh, yeah. Whoa. That's huge. Yes. Yes. You being present in that program as a student enrolled is part of the change. Exactly. Exactly. And they really made that known to us in a very unique way and sort of um, in a way that gave us a little bit of agency of being like, yeah, like you're doing this. Like you think like we are not your saviors in that way. Like Mm -hmm. you wanting to do this and pursuing this, like you really are. We're just kind of um, a gateway to that. Mm -hmm. I think being a part of that experience of like, yeah, this is important. Like this is change. Mm -hmm. And then in college starting to like really be exposed to like world issues, local issues, Mm -hmm. racial issues um, that I hadn't really engaged with. Mm -hmm. Having that seed planted of like, knowing that I can create change and Mm -hmm. then seeing these issues and wanting to like be um, active and not exactly reactive to it. Mm -hmm. Like that, that just sort of when everything bloomed for Mm -hmm. me. It makes me think about, um, oh gosh, I can remember the title of the book. I'm blanking on her name at the moment. The title is called the light makers manifesto. And it's a book on activism and joy. And I think her name is Karen Woolward. Mm-hmm. Um, but she talks about how we often think that activism is like the frontline person out there protesting, getting arrested, and and mm-hmm. that's how change happens, but that there's so many other possibilities of ways to become an activist and ways to make changes in community. And so what you described too is just like here's one one way that we don't realize is a, is a change in making and it actually does do something mm-hmm. and i think it would be you know like if we just paused on that a lot more in our lives of what are what's just one thing 
that would contribute to change. It doesn't have to be the massive thing that would contribute to change, but one thing that you can do that that's, and when you said that it planted the seed for you, that you could be, and you already are change. Mm -hmm. How else does that then feed into the future work that you've done? So maybe I guess I'm thinking specifically, there must be a direct tie to when you're asking the question of where are the black designers and could mm-hmm. you tell us more about that project and what I love your ending line, but I want you to share it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So yeah, that, I feel like that year, it was like my sophomore year, so like 2018 was just a huge year because yeah, I'd been starting to get involved with, yeah, a lot of activism, but not even from any sort of design lens I really just wanted to you know like be a part of it Mm -hmm. but when the um leader of the organization you know was talking to me and he found out that I was a designer he was Mm -hmm. like oh like can you look at our materials and things like that I was like yep and then I started designing things and I was like that was such another turning point where I was like oh my gosh, I can combine design with activism. Mm -hmm. And when we did that and seeing more people come as I redesigned the posters, like more people being involved, more people coming to our events Mm -hmm. and like talking about the website, you know, things like that. It's like, so it's impactful too. Like it's not fulfilling for me. It really can like help make a difference. And so that was sort of the beginning of that year. And so as I got to the end, and was thinking about this research project, that's when I was like, yeah, I want, I want something that, that means something that's a little meaningful to me. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we had, we, we had so many talks about like what project it would be um, and how we'd combine design with it. And so I was already thinking about racial inequities. So I started thinking like, I can't name a single black designer. How problematic is that? Because we know Black designers exist. Mm -hmm. And when you open, we we had so many design reference books and I opened them and there were like maybe one, maybe one Black designer. And this is a book that is supposed to cover the entire history of design. And you think about the civil rights protest posters in general, like we're designers making those newspapers mm-hmm. magazines like we have jet magazine S- like you're telling there's a designer there yes yes and they're and they're not represented not represented at all mm-hmm. I was like okay this is an issue so yeah mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna research black designers for a summer and we'll see if these history books are right or <laughs> people <laughs> were getting left behind. Pretty sure the latter. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so that summer was, was really great because obviously half my summer had to be like actual research, you know, sure. the actual doing that, you know, all the research processes and things like that. But mm-hmm. also half of my summer had to be making. Yeah. And so my mentor he was so helpful with thinking about what out what my process was going to be because I didn't want to just I didn't want them to be separated because they needed to be connected for me. So yeah, we talked about like how we could integrate them both. And 
that was, it was just a phenomenal summer because a lot of my research, I was trying to find visuals that would then um, be either impact or reflect whatever in the final product that I made. So we turned the studio into just like this big, like research place. I was printing out any visual I could find of any sort of design, CD or like record um, covers, magazine covers, book covers, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, all of that from, from culture during that time. And I wanted to focus on the years 1945 to 1975, just mm. to like get, get a chunk. And that was the time where I'm like, oh, I know 100% there's going to be Black designers, civil rights movement, Black power movement, mm -hmm. also two movements that are just mean so much to me. They're like my favorite times in history. Mm. So I knew I wanted to focus on that. So between those years, I was finding any anything I can that I knew was made by someone who was Black. And we were like pinning it up on the wall, having that. I would start every day with like listening to music from that time and sketching and just like sketching whatever was coming to my mind. I would be um, printing out like some of the work from these designers and like recreating them, some by hand, some by computer. Mm -hmm. So I could literally put myself in the shoes of these designers with like mm -hmm. the music that they were probably listening to in the background and like all of the inspiration they probably had on their board. And so really just like recreating this space. And it was just, it was phenomenal. That just made the making experience so much better. And I'm having research envy right now. As you're <laughs> describing it, I'm like, I can't wait to research again and do that. Okay, like, because right. it's like a totally immersive experience you've described. And like, yes. how rich and filling is that space when you are just in it and absorbing it through your pores? exactly and I had never really researched before and any yeah. research was just like blah paper. yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, open this book find a few dates find a few facts but I was like again research could be like this like, mm -hmm. oh. immersive and like filling and just oh just like so great yes I I absolutely I loved everything about that summer. It was just, it was just so great for that reason. Mm. And were you doing this all independent or did you have any other people that were researching along with you or questioning the same thing? Or is this totally your own solo project during this time? This was totally my own solo project. So it was just awesome. me and my mentor. And then towards the end, like we would bring in other design people or um, like activists too, to kind of critique mm -hmm. the work and how I had designed it, how I had researched it, things like that. Mm -hmm. But for 90% of that summer, it was just, just me and my mentor. <laughs> <laughs> tell, tell us how the visuals came to be in the exhibition. Cause you've developed, I love how you said it earlier too, you designed an exhibition based mm -hmm. on this research. And that's so exciting to think yes. about. So tell us about the process of designing an exhibition with this research. Sure. And so it's funny because at the beginning of the summer, I was supposed to like lay out, you know, what my end product would be. And I was like, I'll make like a magazine and <laughs> houses this information. <laughs> like I'll design a magazine. I don't know. Like, yeah. <laughs> but we got like halfway through and we were like this this work, this information, these stories, this history is way too important for just 
just like it's way too important so actually um I shouldn't say that what I designed was an exhibition my mentor would be very disappointed that I said that because what I actually designed was a system for organizing this information so Mm. What I ended up doing was I basically made a visual identity for each uh, designer I found. Mm -hmm. And it was a total of eight designers. Um, And I mean, and I just want to preface too, there were way more that I found, but Mm -hmm. for this project, I wanted to focus on the ones that I could find a lot about them. Like a lot of, not only their work, but their story, because Mm -hmm. I wanted to tell their story. I didn't just want to show their work. Um, so, but I focused on these eight designers and I made a visual identity for each of them. And so I made a pattern for each of them that was made from an element of one of their pieces that they had made. Mm -hmm. Um, and then each of them, a color that the palette, um, that I chose was created from that big mood board I had had with all of the pieces of, um, Yeah, the things you copied and pulled out and all that. (laughs) Exactly. I made like a a nice palette for that. Um, And then I chose some very pretty specific typography because I wanted it to be really bold and really unapologetic in that way. Mm -hmm. And so really what I created was this visual identity for each of them, their Mm -hmm. color, their pattern, how I showed their work, all of that. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the summer, the gallery... um, director she came to me and she was like hey actually um I think it was one of our artists can't show anymore and so we have open gallery space would you want this to be an exhibit and I was like yeah absolutely and it was Mm -hmm. great because um right before that actually I my mentor wanted me to really start designing things how it could look like how would this look like on a billboard how would this look like as a guerrilla marketing sort of like pamphlet that I would like send to all these ad agencies and design programs like we're all the black designers well here's your answer we've been here we are here and so how it would look at all those and then one of the ways he was like how does this look as an exhibit and so Mm -hmm. I had like made all these panels and all of that so I'd kind of already thought about that but I was like what are the odds I'd have an exhibit? <laughs> <laughs> what are the odds that this yeah. is going to happen in my life exactly. right now? <laughs> I was like, sure, I'll do this, but this is really just a hypothetical. <laughs> so I kind of had the pieces there, but mm-hmm. it was great because, yeah, I had this huge gallery and it's like, wow, like, how do I fill this? And so, yeah, I ended up, like I said, I wanted each of the designers to kind of have their own their own area, their own space, you know, mm-hmm. that was really important to me. Like that they weren't melded into a group. They were each yes. seen as individuals like for and respected for what they contributed and what they did. Exactly. Yeah. Because yeah, I mean, during that time, most graphic designers were even in the shadow, like they don't really get credited. And then imagine being a black designer, your yeah. name isn't even anywhere right, like, at all. So I was like, this is, I really want to show like reverence to all of them and their story, their face, the work they did. Like this guy worked on Ford, like you've probably seen this ad. Mm -hmm. He made it. 
mm-hmm. and like all of these different things. I really wanted that to be a part of it. I also really wanted to showcase like the patterns because I think those are cool. I also think um, patterns are really powerful. I mean, it's a repetition and kind of an, um, yeah, it's repetition and it's expansion. It's just like a way, it's just a way for something to be re- repeated. Um, and I think that's that's really powerful in that way. And so having each of them have a pattern based on their work, like that's just a way of amplification in there as well. Yeah, and you're situating them in history then too, because there's all sorts of research done on cultural patterns. And I can even think like, I have a book called like patterns that connect us or something like that. Um, and it's a, a big anthology of patterns that come from Neolithic times through, I think it goes into like, I can't remember what year it ends in, but anyways, it starts in Neolithic and brings us through, but if, you know, it's certainly missing information, but just the idea that when you're highlighting their pattern, you're, you're adding them to that line of history and that line of research that's being told and that story. I was thinking too, I don't know if you know about this, but there's a project called for freedoms project. And they, your billboard comment made me think about it, but they're an activist group from all over, I think the United States and even maybe international, but they do a lot of work with designers too on highlighting topics that need more awareness. And so like your question of where are all the black designers would totally align in there. And I'm kind of like, you need, I need to connect you with them after this conversation, because I just think like, oh, you should you should be a part of their team. Like they should work with you. <laughs> yes. I love that. It's like, this sounds like totally what she's talking about. Um, <laughs> you know, with this, with all of this work that you you've done about this particular topic, do you, do you have vision other, what are your other visions for what this can become at this point? Do you want it to grow? Do you, do you have other things you'd like to see happen with it? Oh yes, absolutely. So another idea of only focusing on the years 1945 to 1975 was that's just like phase one. And then I get into like 1976 to like 2000 or something like that. And then like 2000 until now. So kind of having these phases, which is great because it's ever evolving. Like mm-hmm. the years go on. So there'll be more and more designers. <laughs> yeah. And to just see like it go from like eight designers to like 25 to like hundreds, yeah. you know, yeah. in that way. Uh, it kind of sucks that I did it like right in the middle of undergrad because yeah. of course it wasn't retouched. It, you know, I didn't really touch it again. And now that I'm graduated, that's that's been on my list every year, every single year to keep expanding this project. But that's really how I see it. And I see it connecting with um, other Black designers who are doing similar work mm-hmm. like this. I During that summer, I met a designer who was studying, I, I believe at Yale. He was in the Yale design program, the grad program. And he did a similar project on black designers, but he mostly focused on their work. And so he had compiled like all of this work that was done by these designers. And I was like, wow, I could see us kind of combining in that way. Yeah. Um, because with me focusing more on them as people and not just their work. Mm-hmm. So there are mm-hmm. a lot of like complementary projects like that. Like there are so many um, of us who are doing kind of these separate projects that are 
you know, all in the same realm, yeah. but with different approaches. Yeah. So we were talking about how, you know, like combining all of ours in some way, because this is so much research that we've all independently done. Like we yeah. should compile it all together so we can, you need no, like an anthology. Yeah, you need like an anthology book deal. Like seriously, you need a book yeah. deal too. Like I think <laughs> this this needs to be put into print. Like in that, I mean, it needs to live in so many ways. But I do think mm-hmm. that there that that is also really important that it come it becomes kind of solidified in in that as a, one of its modes. And if you could all collaborate and contribute to build that, like you need a book deal. Somebody needs to yeah. like help you all with that. Of some kind. Yes. Working I with. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it should be right there on the shelves yes. with the other design books. Yes. Because there's no reason. Yeah. There's the, no reason. It. Yeah. Yes. It, it deserves to be in that space and it needs to be exactly. in that space. Yes. Yes. It's so important. And just I mean, it, and it makes sense because the work these designers were doing just kind of blows up what you thought design was during that time. Oh, like, tell me about that. You think about all the Eurostrict design with like Paul Rand, you know, like some of these big designers that stand as pillars in design. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I'm looking at the work from the designers I compiled, and I was like, that looks nothing like that. And that's what you're saying the standard is. Mm -hmm. That's crazy because all of this incredible work that is beautiful and sometimes maximalist, like minimalism was really big. And it's Mm -hmm. like, oh, look at this with the colors. It's not black and white. It's not Mm -hmm. Helvetica. It's it's like (laughs) Helvetica, (laughs) that documentary. (laughs) Yeah. And the history is just so much more and their stories are just, it's just incredible. It just really expands like what you think design was during any of these eras, honestly. Mm -hmm. And so I, I really want to shake that up. Like really, whenever anyone talks about design from those times, I'm like, well, yeah. (laughs) And (laughs) And let's, let's take it a little bit. Bigger. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So I think it, it's really, I don't know, it shakes up the design community in a way that I think is important. Mm. When you, when you made this and started sharing this project through both the exhibition and then your website and, and, and maybe any other ways that you've shared it, do you find, do you get resistance from people or people that don't, see the need for that can you you know can you talk about some of that challenge in it so I don't think I've ever gotten like really any resistance I've gotten some like weird comments I guess but not resistance but Hmm. what I found though is it's really interesting because yeah really this whole the big question is where are all the black designers Mm -hmm. and the big answer is we've been here right and I've presented this work um, so many times, probably even more um, than it's been visually presented. So like talks at ad agencies and Mm. um, like design talks, things like that. And what I always hear is that it's like, oh yeah, we have to start exposing 
young young black people to design like we need to start talking about it in you know like elementary middle high school and emphasizing it more in like college you know like that's kind of their way of thinking about it and I'm like you missed the whole point that's not that I mean yes and you really missed the whole point where like you don't need to go build you don't need to go build. You don't need to. You can. That's great. Yeah. But we're here. We yeah. There's no building to be. It's it's that <laughs> phrase when people say, oh, I discovered this person or I discovered this thing. And like in spirit, I kind of understand what somebody is saying. But really, if you really think about that phrase, it's so problematic because you're not discovering there. Like, like when something is here, it's not a discovery. It's like, no, it's here. <laughs> And instead, your job is to just help move these things forward, help help more people know about them. It's not a discovery. It's not about going in and problem solving it. It's just heightening what is already here, like what is already yes. present. Yes. And giving a platform, sharing a platform, like mm-hmm. just hire Black designer. That it just like really blew my mind because I feel like it's a way to kind of like pass the problem on to someone else yes they're like oh this is a future problem you know <laughs> yeah. that we can start we can start like trying to solve right now where it's like no just hire black designers yeah. we are literally here and and I would get so many quote-unquote compliments being like we need more people like you like we how do we blah 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 and I'm like we're literally here I, <laughs> I just do your research maybe like do your research yeah. And like, let's stop gatekeeping design. And that's when I started to really think critically mm. and even think critically about the brand lab because yeah. one of the ways that was really hard for me being in the brand lab is that a lot of their opportunities weren't specific to graphic design. Mm. Like if you wanted to apply to one of the graphic design ones um, or specifically a creative one, like you had to know how to use Photoshop, Illustrator, InDesign. You had to have projects already. Mm. I'm like, mm-hmm. we're in high school. I, how do I? <laughs> we're in high school. It yeah. can just stop right there. We're in high school. How are you going to mentor us through this or give us access to these things? So can you talk about that? How I think that's such a key thing is what are the, there are systems in place that people think like, oh, this helps keep things organized. Da, da, da. But what it actually does is it keeps people from doing things or learning things because there's too many steps in front of the access, right? Exactly. Way too many. And I don't know how design just skates by and no one talks about it because mm. the very basis of how to get into design is knowing how to use Photoshop, Illustrator, InDesign. You cannot know how to do those if you don't have them, right. you can only have them if you pay the $99, yes. how much it is every month. And how is someone in high school going to pay for that? And how is a school going to pay for that? And exactly that just, I mean, yeah. How yeah. is this, how with schools facing public schools in particular, because that's where I know most things from, but public schools in particular, how can they afford that in their budget? Exactly. They can't, they can't. And that, and that's literally the first door (laughs) Mm. right there. The first door, because you can know all about typography, you know, you can know all about color. You can know all, but if you 
can't use any of those programs, they're not even looking at you. They don't care. This is even a step, maybe a step back, like out wider, but why is it that this one set of programs is really monopolizing the industry? Exactly. Exactly. It makes no sense. It is, it's ridiculous. And I, again, I don't know how that, it just skates by. We've just accepted that it's like, yeah, well, that's- Well, this is what's here. Yeah. It's like, Mm. oh, like just thinking about, I had, I was using like jailbroken Adobe Illustrator, (laughs) (laughs) making up emails to get new, like free trial trials, like doing all of that. And it's just, it's crazy. And again, Mm. even, even after that summer where I did a little bit of design, I, I still couldn't get a design internship like through the brand lab. It's like so. Mm. Wow. Yeah. These even um, after being there, do yeah. you, you know, like I'm just thinking like organizations really need to check themselves and find like find where they're blockages are and like also make space, like make pathways for people to give that feedback that, Hey, this is a block in your organization. If you want this, this is a thing that needs to be removed in order for people, for you to get the thing you say you want. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. And it's just, it's on so many levels too, because yeah, the agencies would be like, you know, well, how, like, we don't want a designer who can't design, you know, like things like, yeah. well, but how do they learn how to design? You have all these resources. They don't need to be necessarily working on client work. Like you don't right. need, <laughs> but even just invest in them. Yes. Here's a computer that has all of the Adobe products on it. Yep. Here are all the tutorials you can watch. Go shadow one of the other designers, you know, like mm-hmm. I feel like And and while you're learning those technical proficiencies, you can still contribute in these other ways to our organization. Exactly. We do like we do this in trade or I would say trades industries are starting to do this now because they need to, because they don't like machinists, for example, that's just one that's in my region that I hear a lot about. And they don't have enough machinists to do the jobs that need to be done. So they're building these schools in partnership with businesses so that they can train future employees because that's where their blockage is. And it's like, that's sort of the same thing that the design world sounds like they need to think about is like, how do we train people? Yes. Yes. Mm. Oh, Olivia, I'm loving this conversation (laughs) so much. (laughs) Oh, it just, um, it, what you're so good at doing in this conversation is identifying and speaking the, the problem and the challenge and also describing the problems with it. Like, it's not just identifying the path, the problem or the challenge. It's what it leads up to, like why. So this is our problem, but all these things before it are actually part of the problem. So we yeah. can't just talk about this one part. We have to talk about these parts that's come before it. And I just, you do that so well. And I'm just loving that part of this conversation too. 
<laughs> I love it. Love it. <laughs> oh my goodness. I feel like your creativity also just like your creativity, your activism is just like oozing alive out of you as you <laughs> like talk and share. And I just am love it's like, it's infectious. It's totally yeah. infectious. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so glad. So glad. No, it just, um, I just think it's really, you have a lot of power and the way that you're sharing and, and doing this work is contributing to change. And that, that is, I don't know. I'm just like grateful. There are humans like you in the world that like contribute to change because yeah. it, we need that. We really do. Everyone, yeah. I mean, and we all have, we all actually have it within us, I believe, to help yes. make change. It's 100%. just activating it alive in yourself and, and believing that it's there. I completely agree. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> I'm like, this is so good. I'm just like so many ways I could talk with you about things. Yeah. One thing though, I want to talk about because you, we didn't talk about what you're doing right now in your work. So could you share with us, what is it that you so are doing in life right now? Yes. Um, so right now my like day job, uh, I work as a designer for Wonderman Thompson. They're an ad agency. Uh, global. So they have so many locations, but I work out of the Midwest office. Mm -hmm. so I'm designer and art director. Mm -hmm. And so that's like my day job. And then I do so lots of freelancing at night mm -hmm. and lots of, yeah, lots, lots of different, different projects. Um, I'm trying to think of my most recent one. Recently, I wrapped up an exhibit at the Hennepin History Museum about the history of 35W and how mm -hmm. it impacted all the surrounding communities. So I worked on that with another designer, as well as some professors and folks at the University of Minnesota who did all the research. So that one was just design. Okay. Which actually I've been doing a lot of, which has been which has been fun, like mm -hmm. working with people who do that professionally, mm -hmm. and doing all the research and all that and helping them bring it to life through an exhibit. So yeah. done, I think three of those in the past year, which has been great. And then, yeah, just working on some projects for some nonprofits and other grassroots orgs, stuff like that. So mm -hmm. just lots of design. And before we hit record, we were talking a little bit about the difference of when you're working on client work and when you're working on your own personal work. And if you could talk with us about what that looks like and how they're different from each other, and maybe also how they're similar and what some of that push pull is between those two avenues of work. Yes. I mean, they're, they're similar in a lot of like processes. Um, that is one thing I'm grateful to have worked in like an agency industry job is like learning kind of the flow of a project because mm -hmm. I can really take that into my freelance work. Like here's, <laughs> you know, the it, intake and like all that, here's how we wrap it up, all mm -hmm. that like project management stuff too, which again, slight nod um, to the brand lab there. Cause that's where my first internship was, mm -hmm. was project management. So mm -hmm. I'm really good, really good at that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, but there's, it's just so many pulls, so many pulls. And 
I, I think that I do so much freelance work to really, that's the fulfilling for me. Mm-hmm. My, my day job fulfills my basic needs of mm-hmm. housing and, you know, all that food, things like yeah. that. But the work, the other work I do when I log off of my laptop for the day is the work that like fuels me. Mm-hmm. And that is such a push. That's such a pull. And it's sad because I, I knew about that pull. I yeah. remember <laughs> my senior year, I was in my mentor's office and I was like, I don't want to go into advertising. <laughs> I was like crying. <laughs> I was like, I don't know, but I know I'm going to need a job, but I, I don't want to go into advertising. <laughs> and then the pandemic hit and mm-hmm. Like, okay, well, um, who's hiring? <laughs> I guess advertising needs me. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know what? Okay. <laughs> I'll I'll go into advertising for a little bit. And so yeah, it, it's been it's been tough be, I, because I knew I knew yeah. what I was getting into. I knew there would be that tension point. I knew I wouldn't be fulfilled both creatively and just, yeah, personally, because there's, there's so many, I I feel like there's so many boxes that you're put in when you're in an industry job like that. And especially when I work on Best Buy. And so that's corporate brand, like there's very limited things you can do. Mm -hmm. You, You have your Typo- everything is set for you. Everything right. They is- have their brand standards already. So they have their typography, yeah. their colors are usually pretty set too, oh, right? They have yeah. their like hex codes and you're like, those are the ones I can use. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like <that's-> yes. <laughs> and, but I mean, um, I started getting, I was, I was able to combine a little bit of my interest in like change and things like that with mm-hmm course everything that happened in 2020 around racial justice so many brands yeah. were trying to do things and mm-hmm. Best Buy wanted to create a platform for like diversity inclusion and equity mm-hmm. and so I got to design that platform and mm-hmm. really I've worked on that platform from beginning all the way until now which has been it's been interesting to see um, but that pull definitely comes because it's hard to be sort of as radical as I am in those spaces because I'm like, this is fine, but this is nowhere near enough. Mm-hmm. Like, you could be doing this, 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 this. And they're like, no. <laughs> I'm like, oh. oh, how do you handle the nose? Are they a flat out? No. Or like, are they gentle? Oh. nose? Like, how does that work? <laughs> they're very Midwestern nose. Uh, <laughs> that's a good point. That's interesting. That's something we will maybe consider mm. <laughs> that sort of, that sure. sort of, you know. and so that's, that has been, I think the toughest thing because yeah. I think I was just doing branding and logos. Like I thought I was going to do, it's like, yeah, okay, whatever. Like you yeah, can this- distance yourself a bit from it. Yeah. If it's just branding and logo. Exactly. But yeah. now I'm like sucked into this thing that is inherently deeply personal. Like mm-hmm. I work on Black History Month stuff and like yeah. Month stuff. And so to kind of see the potential of all that and to have it just be something really surface level. 
That's what I was going to ask. Like when you know the depth needs to be greater, but yeah. it, the corporation dictates surface. Exactly. How do you, how do you know when to push? Well, so that's a great question because I mean, in my position, I'm in no position to push. <laughs> like I'm the bottom of the food chain on all of this. Like mm-hmm. I'm really just the maker. And while internally I am a part of those conversations and and I mean, in the beginning, it was also hard. It's my first job, like right. first all, my first job out of college. Yeah. I'm a designer. So again, I'm already at the bottom of the food chain. I don't know mm-hmm. how anything works. I don't know. I have no baseline for anything. So I feel mm-hmm. like for a long time, it was like, I'm not saying as much to create that baseline of saying, oh, okay, I see you. But then now that I've really developed into this role, mm-hmm. I have been a lot more vocal on things. And I mean, they always get shut down, but at least right. I know that maybe if I keep saying this mm-hmm. and keep trying and keep pushing internally, that maybe it'll, it'll start to carry out. Right. But I think beyond the work, that's the most draining thing. Like, yeah. and honestly, it really isn't even the work. It's that part of it, of being yeah. like, yeah. I'm saying these things and we can't do them. Like I'm calling them out. They're there and we can do them. I'm like, what right. do you, what do you need me to take away the money? Like we can, we can find a way to do this cheaper. Like mm-hmm. what, what can I do so we can meet there? And yeah. it's, it's always hit with that wall. And, mm. that, and that, that has been just the most, the most draining of it all. Well, and that's what some people would refer to, I think, as emotional labor, because that's the right. That's the work that you're doing. And it's the back and forth. It's one thing um, being in. I remember when I was in an education system and then also just through organizational work. But when you ask people to come with their ideas, obviously, we know not all ideas can be carried out. But Mm -hmm. if you if you don't hear people with their ideas, their thoughts, their suggestions, and also act on some of them. At some point you start to shut down, not only that person, but everyone else in that space. And then you also start closing in on your opportunities as an organization or as a company to do anything, because you're starting to like say these no's. And then that just keeps making you sort of like your space is smaller and smaller of what you're willing to do and not willing to do. And then that limits you exactly yeah that and it's yeah that emotional labor part of it is just huge because yeah at what point are you so tiny into this box like Mm -hmm. what can you do you're just going through the motions yeah um and that's again another tough part because I want to like my job I want to be good at my job Mm -hmm. I want to be respected and I want Mm -hmm. my work to be good work and Mm -hmm. If, when you're hit with that over and over again and your box just gets smaller and smaller and smaller, it's like, what can I even do? What can I do? Yeah. And you know, part of this podcast, the, an area I want to explore with each guest is what stops you from feeling connected to your creativity? What's st- what starts to make that in, in the conversation with you, I'm thinking about what makes that, that creativity kind of shrink in its, in its possibilities. And Maybe if you could talk a little bit about that and also like 
how do you, I'm really interested in knowing this from each person is how do you know or recognize when it's starting to happen? Like, how do you see it in yourself or in your work? Yes. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, I think being put into too small of a box is really what, what does it for me and what Mm -hmm. really makes my creativity take a hit. Um, and, but that combined with, yeah, that emotional labor, um, as well as like not connecting with the work. It's Mm -hmm. like that, that combination of things sends me into such a deep rut, such Mm -hmm. a deep rut and really just, and it's, it's so, it's so hard, um, like being a maker and artist, um, and also like dealing with like depressive disorders too, Mm -hmm. because for me, they're, they're so connected. And I, I haven't quite figured out who's influencing who there. But, um, I know things like that really, like really jump kick um, some depression there too, mm-hmm. because I'm, I'm not connecting with what I use as a tool to deal with my, yeah. with, with that depression. And so it's like, what do you do? Like, mm-hmm. I feel so hopeless in those ruts and just mm-hmm. feel like every day is just a going through the motions which sucks because then not only is my day work being impacted but it's also the work that I'm working on that makes me fulfilled that's being right impacted. and so and that makes me sad and that makes me feel hopeless mm-hmm. and I feel hope like I my worth as a designer feels like it's so low in that moment. And my utility as a designer mm-hmm. feels so low in that moment. And I think the pandemic um, added to that, but in the last, yeah, like two years or so, I've hit so many of those points, whether mm-hmm. it's because of what's happening in the world, my job, or just, just feeling stuck. Yeah. And it, it's the worst feeling because it, I mean, going back to that, like gut feeling, I feel it all. I physically feel it and I feel it. And, um, yeah, my work, my work suffers greatly because Mm -hmm. of it. And so when you're in that space and you recognize that you're there, what are some of the things that you do to get, to get out of it or to, or to honor that you're in that space? You know, like sometimes we have to honor that we're just in that space for that time. And then, and then, and then do something. What do you do to kind of get out of that? I stop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Simply, I I really do stop. Um, and yeah, I'm still sort of working out, you know, how how I do this. But mm-hmm. stopping is really, really, really special in my life. Um, mm. I've been on go for so long. And how I've, how I used to cope with these things was to go even more and go even faster and do more projects. So I don't have to even think about what I'm feeling. Don't Mm -hmm. acknowledge it at all. I'm like, you know, if I just keep grinding it out, that'll take a month off. And by then I'll be okay. Like, (laughs) I'm working on stopping. Mm -hmm. Stopping has been the biggest thing. Stopping and like movement. I, my, in an ideal world, what would get me out is stopping and immediately going somewhere else. Ideally, mm. 
New York, even mm-hmm. abroad, going to Paris or something like that. Just like mm-hmm. stopping, getting out of my element and out of this like physical box yeah. and going somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, and on a small scale, that looks like like staycations, like going to a hotel for a weekend and just like, yes, not doing anything. <laughs> There's so much value in just being out of whatever is your home base or even work base and just the fresh scenery, because you can't, what that does is you can't do the thing you normally would do because you're not in your normal space. So like you can't do it. It's just like, it does. And that, that totally makes you have to make different decisions and yeah, what a tool that is to break, to break something that's happening to like the stale spot that's you're in or whatever it is. Exactly. Exactly. Mm, yeah. Oh goodness. I like that. I like how it's both, you know, you're, you're like the both and person. And that's so <laughs> wonderful to hear you say those things. Cause you're like, you know, like going far away and, or a staycation, like, because it isn't always in our reach to go to a faraway place that we might want to go, but yeah. it might be in our reach. Yeah. To just yeah. grab a quick hotel room and stay somewhere different that's nearby. And just, yeah, have that moment, you know, in early in the conversation, you had said, um, I think it was something like you need to just take time. Like when you were asking yourself first, mm-hmm. what you thought, and you need to feel what you're feeling and like, take time to really ask that question. And the stopping really sounds like that too. Like it's a stopping. So you can ask yourself, how am I really feeling right now? Exactly. I think that clicked for me um, beginning of last year, actually. I was working on that platform um, mm-hmm. that I told you about and it yep. had launched like, it launched early January and I was burnt out like to yeah. a crisp. I've never been, never been that burnt out before. Like mm-hmm. I working to the bone like, every day, every thought I had felt like it was like, the machine was just like cranking (laughs) every step I took was just like a marathon so I was like oh I'm I'm booking the nicest hotel room I can find in Chicago for like (laughs) three nights I'm closing that laptop the day it launches you're not gonna see me until Monday like yeah yeah. so but what I did was I also had like signed up for this this um it was like a group uh, I can't remember what it was called but it was like an all women's group and it was meeting virtually and talking just about like maybe it was about like affirmation I don't know something something Mm -hmm. I remember just like being in the hotel room obviously doing nothing my work laptop wasn't even there (laughs) and we just had this group and they were asking us to just like reflect on this reflect on this And I remember just like sitting there and I was just like crying. It was such a purge. And I was like, I didn't even realize I was feeling all of these things. Like I just was going to take this as another burnout moment. Mm. Yeah, I'm just burnt out because I was working a lot. But sitting there and reflecting and realizing all these deeper things Mm -hmm. about why I was burned out and like why, and I don't know, thinking about how I can, make sure I never feel like this again. Like yeah. sitting in that hotel room, just like crying. And then after that being like, yeah, we're not doing that again. And yeah. also being able, 
like if I hadn't stopped to do that, I don't even, I don't even know what I would do now. Right. That was an important weekend. And I love that. That stopping gave you that moment of awareness to, to think beyond the, the phrase that we're given society gives us the phrase burnout, but it's really inadequate to describe what you were experiencing because that project was, it, it was part of who you are as a core, as a human, the experiences you've lived and the experiences you want to help make and shape for other people. It was all of those things. And it was your work. It was like your, your paying work job. So it was, it was so much of you. And yeah, when we have those kinds of experiences that pull on our whole selves, which is fabulous, some, when our whole self is welcomed in that whole experience, but that is a different kind of, um, you have to have a different kind of system of care then too, throughout that process. Yes, exactly. Mm. Exactly. Yeah. What you said about burnout being such a light word, it really is mm-hmm. like such a light word for something a lot of us experience because it's so much more so much deeper yeah and I think we're doing a disservice by calling it that like I know it's nice to have a word that we can all kind of glam and catch on to but if we don't really dig underneath what that word represents then we're not actually helping the problem any we're just in a way we just say well we've named it and now it can just like we can say oh yeah that's burnout everyone knows that yeah that's not enough Exactly. <laughs> it's not enough. Oh, so one thing I picked up on that you said you had a, this is a subtle, like, this seems like a little thing, but I want to mention this. You said your work laptop was closed and at home. So then that mean does that mean that you have a personal laptop so that you don't have to have those two worlds always accessible to you so that you can actually separate and leave your work? Yes. that. Okay. That's been super. <laughs> that like, sounds like huge to me. <laughs> yeah. Huge. Yes. And it started um, the last apartment I was in was like, uh, it was just like a little one bedroom, but it had this like walk in closet that was like kind of in the living room. And so um, when I would work, I would just be like in the living room and just mm-hmm. like on my couch. And so then after I'm working, I'm like, all this work energy is literally yeah. still in the place where I'm supposed yeah. to be lounging. Yeah. How can I lounge <laughs> if work energy is still here? It's still there. Like, why am I closing my laptop? And then now I'm just like turning on the TV. Like I'm still <laughs> literally here. I'm like, this is not enough for me. And mm-hmm. so I like transform that closet into like a little studio. Yeah. And then I'm like, okay, nice. I work in there. And then when I'm done, I literally close the door oh. my living room. And then yeah. now when I moved, that's why it was really important to me. I'm like, I need a two bedroom. Mm-hmm. I need a whole room where that is work. That is work. Yeah. And, and then now like I have a living room where I'm like, this is relaxation only. Like this yeah. is where I go to decompress from all of that. Like I need that separation. Um, but now I'm trying to like that that's also hard because I'm like, well, I want to do all my like cool projects in there. Like, how I, <laughs> now, how do I separate? Like, you need a third, a third yeah. space. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> tough part. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But I'm like, okay, this will work for now. But I think for me, literally having things separate 
and like out of sight, out of mind. So yeah, even the little laptop thing of being like literally out of sight, out of yeah. mind. I don't feel it. Like I don't feel that energy there. I don't see it. It's yeah. Gone. It, yeah. It <laughs> Yeah. And I'm just thinking like for so many people, they've now more and more people are having the opportunity, so to speak, to work at home or work from home. And so learning, and I know there's other conversations happening around this topic, but really learning where your workspace is and isn't is really critical. And as artists or makers too, it goes both ways. So having a workspace that you can close off so that you don't think about it when it's there is one thing, one need. And then there's also a need to have that creative space, like you were talking about, or the studio where it invites you to explore, to play, to think. And then that space needs its own kind of accessibility because it needs to encourage you to keep coming, to keep going, yes. to keep getting there. <laughs> Instead of being able to close the door, it's like that one I feel like is like French doors wide open. Like, hey, come, come on in. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. That is exactly it. And it's such a again, such like a fine line, but working towards that, like my studio really is my favorite place. It is mm -hmm. the most, it's loud, it's decorated. It's like, ah. so yeah, I think I brought in like a little desk that's in the corner and I'm like, okay, I'm going to work here. And then I have like my work bench, mm -hmm. that's where the fun stuff is going to happen. <laughs> yeah, I like it's it. Like I like to pin stuff up. <laughs> yes. The freedom to, oh my gosh. Okay. So like to use walls, this is just like a small thing for people, I think, to think about, but it's not small. It's pretty big. Like different <laughs> artist friends have told me about how like they were given a wall to draw on or to paint on as kids and how important that was. And my kids were just over at our neighbors recently and they have a whole room their kids get to draw on the walls. And so oh. my kids are like, we need to yeah. go there more often. And I'm like, yeah, I need to find you a wall at our house. To yeah. do that too. But in my studio, that's also one of the joys is being able to draw and write or pin anywhere that you want to. And yes. that just something about that. And maybe it's because it changes what an expectation is. Like normally we say the wall is this and we don't put things on it or there's rules about what you can put on it. And so to have that space, that's like, no, you know, you can do anything here, That that yes. just is like, it makes a channel in our brain to like, go, all right, now what, <laughs> exactly. now what else are you going to do that you have that permission? Yes. <laughs> Exactly. Yes. Oh, well, fun to hear about your creative space too, because that's something I've been interested in knowing. Some people are like, I work on my lap on the couch and like, that's where I draw and I have my bag of pens. And like, it's like everyone has their ways of like having space to work or a thing to do. So one thing, actually, I'm looking at our time and we already are to this, um, what I call the studio time wrap up. So it's the final four questions. This has been, so, I feel like we could talk for hours. <laughs> There's so many more topics for us. Um, uh, so in this section of the inner, or the conversation, it's not interview, it's totally conversation. In this section of the conversation though, I ask each guest the same set of questions and you can, you know, be as expansive as you want with the answers or as brief as you want. It's totally up to you. So um, there's one question where I'm going to refer to your studio mix of songs that you shared. And so I will 
do that as part of the question. <laughs> <Not nice. laughs> I listen, I listen to everyone's playlist before I talk to them because I like to get in the mindset of kind of like who I'm going to be talking to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> it's like slightly, it is, it's like so intimate in a way, you know? Yes. Yeah, it is. It totally is. And then it's like, whenever somebody asks you to like share your songs, it's like, do you share the songs you think that person wants to hear? Or do you share the songs that you really listen to? Yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's well, like, if you ask me what movie I watch, I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Like, or like, what makes me seem, you know, cool in this moment? Or like, what I cool? <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so funny. Do you think it matched my energy? I'm so curious. <laughs> I think it does. It starts off with a pow, I felt yeah. like in the mix. And then it's like, oh yeah. And then we're going to dance a little. And like, so I felt. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, oh goodness. <laughs> so my first question is a finish this sentence. Um, when I don't know what to create or make, I mm. wow. Um I I hunt and gather. I would Ooh. Say, yes. Um, I, yeah, that's when I know I need to start, I need to start being influenced or looking at all my inspiration, mm-hmm. Pinterest, um, all of those like design boards and things like that. Like really just looking or like opening up um, all of the art and design books that I have and just like mm-hmm. looking for that like spark where it's like, Oh, okay. Yes, 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 yes. I can do that. Oh, I yeah. love that moment. I love yeah. that moment. <laughs> you find something and you're like, oh my gosh, yes. This just like cracked the code. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's what I do. I spend some time looking, hunting, mm-hmm. gathering, um, spending lots of time at the Art Institute. That is like mm-hmm. my sacred, sacred space. Mm-hmm. But just kind of taking in as much as I can. And one of the recent things I've been doing is not even looking at design things but looking at like film and like really taking in music too and using other art forms to influence like what I'm trying to get at and like Mm -hmm. the mood I'm trying to create so yeah definitely just going out looking hunting gathering (laughs) I love I love that you frame it as hunting and gathering like it's just primal. It's just this, yeah. like very root thing that we're going to do. It, it makes so much sense because yeah, that, that is, we innately know how to do that, whether we recognize that or not, like we know how to like hunt and gather and find and do and look. And can you, you had shared too, before we recorded that for your, um, on Fridays, is that when you go to the museum? So t- can you tell yeah. us how that ritual developed just for like a little sidetrack, but yeah. how did you develop that ritual and what made you decide to prioritize that? Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I've been here for a year and a half and literally that first year, I didn't go to any museums. I think it was partly the pandemic and then yeah. part, yeah, I, I actually, I think it was fully that, but then- <laughs> This fall, I was like, okay, things are like, you know, starting to, okay, yeah, nice. I'm going to like venture out more. Mm -hmm. And I was like, how have I not been to the Art Institute? And then someone had told me like, 
I forget which piece it was, is there. And I was like, wait, they have like, they have like big work, like works I've seen. Okay, I have to get over there. So I went and I was like, oh my God, I love this place. And I went home and I bought a membership immediately. Yeah. I was like, yes. And so in the beginning, I was like, okay, I want to go X amount of time. So then the like membership made sense to get sure. it. I mean, yeah, like you were, you were, yeah, pre- yeah. you were doing what your parents do and making it really yeah. logical. Like, okay, if I'm going to pay this much, then I need to go this many times to make it yeah. worth this. <laughs> exactly that. <laughs> Literally that. And so I was like, yeah, I'll go, you know, like once a month. But then I saw that they have uh, like member hour, like from yeah. 10 to 11, every day they're open is members only. So uh, it's very quiet. So I was like, let me like, try out a members only day. And so <laughs> I went and I was like, mind blown. This oh. is incredible. It is, and it's such a way to like start your day. It's just like, oh, yeah. cool. you're looking at art. Like I'm standing in front of like a Picasso and no one's around. Mm-hmm. Like I went on a Saturday one day during not members hour. And like, there's a huge like crowd. You yeah. Know? <laughs> it's a whole different experience. <laughs> a whole different. So I was like, this is nice. But the way it ended up on Fridays was mostly just out of um, like convenience because they're open, I don't know, like Mondays, Tuesdays and Fridays during the week. Mm -hmm. And just thinking about like my work day, I was like, okay, Fridays are going to be best. I have nothing there. Mm -hmm. And so I just like did it one week and I actually brought my work stuff. So for that first hour, I was just like, you know, art. And then mm-hmm. since no one was there, I had first dibs on like one of the working tables. Yes. That I would like set up and like do my work. And then when I had a lull in my day, I would just pack up and go look at art again. And so now I just, that's what I do. I get there at like 10 for the members hour. And then I stay until like five. And you work at the museum. Like yeah. you do your work from the museum. Oh yes. my God. <laughs> I don't know. I'm kind of like really loving that. Yes, <laughs> more right. pe- I feel like more people should do that. I agree. But it not is- infringe on your time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Different museum. Yeah, different museum, different state maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it is just, it has become just so perfect in such a way to end the week off. Like I look yeah. forward to it. Yeah. Thursday night, I'm like, oh my God, yes, I get to wake up, get ready, and like go to the museum. Oh, it's incredible. Oh, I love it. I love it. It's so cool. <laughs> People need to do it. Give yes. it a try. <laughs> okay, so this next one is I asked you to share five songs that you could listen to on repeat in your studio or anytime, like while you're working. So I'm going to list the songs and then I have a question for you after that. Okay. So your songs were. Transparent Soul by Willow, Truth Hurts by Lizzo, Industry Baby by Little Nas X, Garden by, do you say it S-Z-A or is there like a way uh, it's to SZA. SZA, okay. And then Butter by BTS. <laughs> <laughs> Could you share how these songs contribute to your creative flow? yes um so when I'm creating and maybe this is really just me in general but definitely when I'm creating I need to be like pumped up I Mm -hmm. have to have like this uh just like energy just like ah and (laughs) like when I'm making I want to be able to like take a dance break I want to be able to be singing at the top of my lungs when I'm making just like it has to be just like 
fun and energetic and exciting. And mm-hmm. all of those songs, when they're on like full blast, either in my earbuds or like on my speaker, have that energy. I'm yeah. dancing to all of those songs. And I guess SZA's, um, that one is the only one that's like, you know, a little calmer, but I'm still screaming that one to the top. <laughs> well, and it has that, the, the one I listened to had like that spoken word section of yes. it too. I love when people do, I don't know what it, I think it's the story. It feels like somebody's story is interwoven into mm-hmm. the song. And I just like adore when I hear that in songs, I was like, Oh, it has that. <laughs> yeah. That's her whole album. I love oh. I love that. That whole album, really. If you ask for an album, yeah, do that one for sure. Oh, good. Okay. I'll probably add that to my playlist. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> so good. But yeah, I just, I need, I just, oh, I need that energy. And I, I love music. Not in the, I, I won't say I'm like a music connoisseur because like, <laughs> I love like pop. I top 40. It, as long as it's making me feel like I can dance in the moment. Yeah. I love it. I love yeah. it. I love like I have a bunch of CDs, cassettes, vinyls. Like I just mm-hmm. love any mode of it. Yes. Oh my gosh. A cassette. I recently got a new cassette and that, cause I have it in my studio it has a cassette player. And I love the experience of like pushing it in and push like the sounds that come with the cassette are like really great. And it's like gritty. That's what yes. I love. Like I, I love buying used ones because mm-hmm. like you can tell how many times I've been listening to yeah. it. it like has that little like, like pulled out. radio. Yeah. It's like uh, a little gritty. Oh my God. I love, love. Uh, <laughs> I love that some artists too are putting them out with their new releases occasionally. Like I'm like, yeah, thank you for still putting them out. <laughs> it's fun. Parent soul. I have that one on cassette. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Oh, nice. Good to know. Good to yeah. know. Well, my next question is, I feel like this is just not going to be hard for you, but (laughs) not that it needs to be hard by any means, but the question is what brings you joy in your creative life? Oh man. Um, yes, so much, uh, honestly creating, creating is just, I don't know. It's so fun, but people, um, that's that's most fun I that's why these exhibits have just been so great because Mm. um there's a lot of people involved I'm like that I love this I love this collaboration I love us all Mm. working on this I love seeing people view it and like having those conversations I love that um I love my space like that Mm -hmm. brings me so much joy (laughs) and energy (laughs) that studio space is just it's incredible and it's me and it's it feels like I can be messy in there and like someone can stay in there if they want to you know like someone can stay in there if they want to (laughs) (laughs) like I have a pull-out couch in there my friend is actually staying like and they're like wow this is like a great space like that brings me so much joy all my space and I just think yeah um Oh man, I just feel like so much. Just art as a whole, street mm-hmm. art, yeah. public art, graffiti. Yeah, we didn't even touch on your public art because you do murals oh, yeah. too. I was yeah. like, there's so much. <laughs> it's awesome. I it's so yes. great. But yeah, yes. you yeah. So oh yeah. So when you're seeing that, you're that's filling you up too. 
Yes, yeah. absolutely. Just, yeah. I love anything gorilla too. Yeah. It's not supposed to be there and it's art. I love it. Like, I, Can you tell, why does that connect with you and why does that excite you? And Oh, it excites me. Well, one, because, you know, things like street art, graffiti, all of that have been such a core part of so many movements mm-hmm. in history. Like that's, that's it. And, and we think of it as a whole and don't even think about the artist, but it just contributes so much and it's like getting a message out there that in a way that you're not supposed to quote mm-hmm. unquote, you know? it's mm-hmm. such like breaking the norm kind of like that fighting the power sort of thing like yeah I just I love that and that's why I love that was one of my main reasons for moving out of Minneapolis actually I love Minneapolis we have great commissioned public art but mm-hmm. people don't like graffiti they hate it they hate yeah anything. You know, there, I had an interesting conversation with a friend because, um, my kids, when we see graffiti on, on trains, we're, cause that's where we see graffiti, where we live. Cause we live rurally and we're always like, it's so cool. Look at that one. Did you see yes. that? Look what they did. And then I have another friend who was like framing it so differently for her kids where they were like, oh, but somebody like damaged that property. And it was so interesting to know that they're I mean, there's always so many ways to see things, but just that in something like that, we have so many different ways that we come to it. And, and, Mm -hmm. you know, thinking back to something you said earlier too, about the design industry and gatekeeping graffiti doesn't have gatekeeping, right? Like Jen, because anyone can get their paint and pick their space where they're going to do it. And in a way there isn't gatekeeping, there's gatekeeping in the sense that some, the response is like, we'll take this down, but there's not gatekeeping in order to do it. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. It's such a pure form of art. Like mm. we've been doing it forever. People. Oh my like, gosh. Oh, yeah. Like, it's one of the longest forms of art. I just, I love it. When anyone talks about like, you know how you like people carve into wood and stuff yeah. at parks and things like that. And they're like, blah, blah, blah was here. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I have a photograph of like an old rundown building and it says pepper was here and I just like love that photograph because I'm like who's pepper but it is but it is that thing that since like the era of cave paintings like we have we have wanted to mark that we were here we have been we have wanted to have somebody know that we existed and Mm -hmm. that that is what these marks in public spaces really are about like we are here this person was here I feel like a whole nother topic could be about, I just had this thought while we were talking and thinking about public art and how you were mentioning that Minneapolis has great commissioned public art. And I have to wonder, is that just another form of gentrification of art and of the community, right? Like it's also that it's another example, like we'll have art, but it's going to be through this certain way. Yes. And because it's through this certain way and there's money behind it, there are things you can and can't do. There are things yeah. you can and can't say. So it's like, yeah, that it's a very interesting. Mm. I mean, the work really is beautiful, but right. it, it's not going to be, yeah, like as raw as egging yeah. something. Like it's it's yeah. so different. Yeah, yeah. Ugh. Ugh. So many things to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is the final one. It's a finish the sentence. My creativity is. Oh, oh, um, maybe 
I, oh, there's a lot of ways. I'm going to say my creativity is ever evolving. Mm. And that's something I've been really excited about recently because yeah, I, I feel like I want to just like keep, keep doing different things, keep, mm-hmm. yeah, keep trying different things. And I, I think it's going to be a new way that I start coping with some of the ruts that I feel is just like having more tools in my back pocket. Um, I've started like watercolor painting and mm-hmm. I've started crocheting again and mm-hmm. drawing more and yeah, without the lens of needing to be good. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Good quote unquote good. Because, mm-hmm. Yes. It's very subjective. Um, but just like different ways to make. So if I'm, you know, not really feeling designing right now, mm-hmm. um, I can crochet, I can watercolor paint, I can oil paint, I can draw, I can mm-hmm. make collages. And I think um, having it be this like evolution, of, I, I think it'll, I don't know, I'm excited for how it transforms me as a maker and how each of them start influencing each other. Like, I can't wait for the day that someone's like, wow, this like design that you made really reminds me of like a crocheted Afghan, you know? (laughs) That'll be the day that I'm like, oh my God, I feel like- I am integrated. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, yes. All of that is like, I'm, I'm so like multifaceted, like everything's influencing each other. Uh, so yeah, I just, yeah, I, I'm excited for this just like evolution that's happening. So I think, yeah, right now my creativity is ever evolving and that's really exciting. Super exciting. It's that, it, it's that framework of an education, they call it growth mindset. And just that you're always willing and ready know that there's more beyond what you know in the moment is the way I think about it. Like there's always more possibility than there is what you know. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Olivia, thank you so much for this conversation today. It just is one that is going to sit with me and inspire me. And I know that other people listening will also feel that. And I also just hope that other people listening find and feel their own agency and their own potential for being a conduit of change. Yes, absolutely. Thanks so much, Rhonda. Thank you. Let's take inspiration from Olivia this week. Ask yourself, what do I want to know more about? What do I care about? Make a space to hang up inspiration related to your interest and make a music playlist that corresponds to the topic you're digging into. Hunt and gather as Olivia does when she doesn't know what to make. Maybe you felt inspired by Olivia's Fridays at the Museum. Maybe this week you'll find a new place to work for a day, a surrounding that inspires you. And at some point this week, stop. Pause in your day. Ask yourself, how am I in this moment? Or ask yourself a question about your future and take time to imagine that future. Sit with yourself, and remember, stopping is a sacred act of care. You can follow Olivia on Instagram at lives underscore house. And as always, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy the podcast, 
please share it and rate and review wherever you listen to your podcast. Until next week. Bye.